A few months ago, Nat and I were and the boys, we were taking the boys to school, and at the time, it was when we lived up on Bunker Hill Street, and we parked on Belmont Street. Those latter streets in Charlestown can be pretty thin. They were building a house right, uh, right there on Belmont Street, so we would get all the construction worker trucks. You know the construction worker trucks that don't have regular bumpers, the ones that have those steel bumpers, you know what I'm talking about, right? So the steel bumper truck had backed up right to us. Uh, it didn't hit us, but it didn't leave me a lot of margin. And then the car over here uh, had, had left itself out a little far as well. So I didn't have a lot of room to maneuver. And I'm in that moment. I'm thinking I'm in the clear. And Natalie starts, does your blood pressure ever do this? I can, her blood pressure is going up and the tone of her voice is going up, right? She's like, babe, you're getting close to that car. You're getting close to that truck. You're getting close to that truck. And then I hear it, that sound, you know, metal on metal. And I'm like, oh, man. And uh, so I get out, and I'm like, oh, maybe it's a scratch. Maybe it's a nick. Maybe it's okay. I get out, and I look. It's not a scratch or a nick. It looked like Captain Hook got mad at me and jammed his hook hand into my car and then did this number for about, it was probably only four or five inches, but it felt like it was like three feet, right? And in that moment, because I criticized my wife's driving more than any husband probably on earth, so in that moment, I know that um, turnabout is fair play and all of those things. So I'm mad. I'm embarrassed. I'm kicking myself. I am upset about this deductible. I'm feeling guilty. I'm out the money. And here's my wife forgiving me completely, totally forgiving me, so loving, all the way down Belmont Street, babe, it's okay, all the way up Medford Street, I love you, don't beat yourself up, we have the money, it's not a big deal, all the way down Bunker to the school, quit worrying about it, it's fine, we'll get it fixed, I'm freaking out, and she is nothing but love and forgiveness and grace, and so I'm, here's the, here's the mathematical equation that I think I deserve in this moment, right, her love minus the cost of the deductible to get the car fixed equals my predicament, right? That's what it, her love minus deductible equals what I deserve in our predicament. But what I received instead was just love. No subtractions, no deductions, just love. And finally, that night in bed, like 15 hours later, I'm laying there and my shoulders relax and I realize that Natalie is not going to turn this around on me. She's not going to juke me. She's not going to bring this up later. And I just let myself forgive myself because I was loved by my wife in a moment where I had truly messed up. You know what happened the next day? I was much more forgiving and gracious, not just toward Natalie, but toward everybody, right? Having received love and grace and forgiveness that I completely didn't deserve, I was loving and gracious and more forgiving toward everyone. That's what love and grace and forgiveness do to us. They don't free us just to love the person who gave us love. It frees us to love everyone. It frees us to be loved and then to love others with no manipulation, no guilt trips, no leveraging, and no bargaining. Like the Grinch, on that day, my heart grew three sizes. Because our natural bent is always to have a love that comes with asterisks. It's just how we do things. That's human nature. True love, God's love, never does that. Have you ever 
been on the receiving end of love like that you totally didn't deserve, maybe at home or at family or in work or friendships or anywhere else, a love you didn't deserve. That is grace. That is grace. Now let's look at one of the most beautiful stories of grace in all the Bible today. 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to read one verse and then we're going to read four verses and then we're going to finish out the chapter. Uh, So here we go. And David said, David is now king. He has consolidated the boundaries. He's got a new capital. It says, and David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? If you like to write in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline maybe that word kindness. We're going to see it a couple of more times in this chapter. That word kindness is so powerful. Now, let me give you the backstory. Saul was the first king of Israel. He ruled for a few years and he was a pretty terrible king, very good looking, very, had some huge leadership and faith flaws. And God took his kingly authority and passed it along to David. So the throne should have run through his family to his son Jonathan, but it did not. It ran to David, the little guy, the peach fuzz guy who goes on to slay Goliath, right? And so uh, Saul was king. The throne passes away from him. Should have gone to Jonathan. David and Jonathan became really good friends. David became a bit of a celebrity. And also because uh, Jonathan's dad, King Saul, was a manic depressant, kind of bipolar, kind of crazy. uh, David was brought in to play uh, the guitar for Saul when he was having an episode, right? And that would calm his soul. Out of that, David and Jonathan became friends. And it's in 1 Samuel 20, we won't read it. But they make a covenant together, David and Jonathan. What are you laughing at? Did you do something to do a funny thing? Okay. (laughs) So they make, uh, David and Jonathan make this covenant together in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And the covenant essentially said this. uh, You show kindness, that word we underlined, or steadfast love to me and my descendants. Um, And then I... uh, and then I will do the same for you. Here's what a covenant is. I think we have the slide for this, yeah? A covenant, uh, and marriage is the closest thing to this that we have left in our society. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. A contract says if Carson and I enter into a contract together, if he violates the contract, I can then tear it up into relationship. A covenant is different. And they, in the Old Testament, people entered into covenants. And it's really funny how it happened. I'll have to tell you some other time. Um, But basically, somebody would come in and they would make promises. I will do this for you. But then there would often also be obligations. Because I'm doing this for you, because I'm promising, you are going to do this. But the covenant was not based on one side or the other's faithfulness, necessarily. In other words, in the covenant, if if I've made the covenant with Vaskin, but Vaskin violates it on some level, unless he doesn't totally terminate it, the covenant keeps going. So in my marriage covenant, if I wake up and uh, I'm in a crabby mood, that's not reason for Natalie to break the covenant. Just because I wasn't a good person on a given day, the covenant doesn't break. Now there are times where the marriage covenant does break. God's covenant of love doesn't break. And David and Jonathan enter into this covenant. And the covenant says, I love you. I will love your descendants. I will look out for your descendants. 
Well, you look out for my descendants, and that's their covenant. Um, God makes four covenants, by the way, in the Old Testament. I'll tell you what they are, uh, just kind of for your nerdy mental edification. One is with Noah, and God says, I will never destroy the earth by flood again. I'll never destroy the earth by flood again. And so if you can think of a covenant as God extending his hand to shake, and that's the promise, the obligation is the person shaking the hand back. In the Noah covenant, there is no handshake. God just says, I'll never destroy the earth by flood again. The next covenant in the Old Testament is with Abraham. And God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And I'm going to make you a people. And he was just a random guy that God picked, and God speaks to him. And so they enter into covenant. But there is a back end of that one. We'll look at it in a minute. The third covenant is with the nation of Israel. It's right on the back end of the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And God says, I'm going to give you land, and I'm going to make you a country. You're going to have your own land if you will do what I'm asking you, if you'll follow these Ten Commandments and be my people. And then the fourth covenant is with David. And God says to David, I'm going to set you up with a descendant, and your family is going to sit on the throne of Israel forever. There's four covenants. The problem with those four covenants is the people never do what they were supposed to do. Not one time ever did they trust God. Not one time ever did they not worship other gods. Not one time ever did they not break the commandments. Not one time ever God extended his hand in love, and every time they always violate the covenant. Every time. And so David, like God, wants to show kindness. When I was in seminary, I think we've got a slide for this. This word in Hebrew is called chesed. I was talking with one of my Jewish friends this week. He said, now you make sure if you say it on Sunday, but you say it right, that H better have a C that goes chesed. And so the word is this. When I was in seminary, the guys who loved Hebrew, this was the tattoo they would always have. You would see it right here. They wouldn't put it up here because they wanted to let you know they loved God so much that they were going to show it on their forearm, right? But this word, kindness, Chesed means covenant love. It's God extending the hand, knowing that we're going to shake it, but still stab him in the back. It's grace. It's the closest Old Testament word for grace. It's covenant love. David says, I want to show one of Jonathan's descendants chesed. I want to show him kindness. I want to show him covenant love. I want to fulfill my obligation. Now verses 2 through 5. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant because he thinks he's going to be killed. He was Saul's servant and Saul is now dead and dethroned. And he, he brings him in and he thinks he's about to be knocked off. In verse 3, and the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Uh, he doesn't even want to tell him his name. He just says how worthless he is. Oh, he's crippled. You don't even, who cares? He's got one son. He's crippled in his feet. He's a nobody. I'm not even going to tell you his name. Then the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodibar. Now, Israel if you remember, sits along the Mediterranean Sea right here, just like it does today. It did in David's kingdom 3,000 years ago. The boundary on the east side is the Jordan River. That's essentially the boundary of the nation of Israel on the east side. 
where Mephibosheth, this guy, this son, this lost son, where he was, he wasn't Israel when his dad was king. But when his dad was dethroned and died and the kingdom of David was beginning to take shape and take power, Mephibosheth is a little boy and they get him out. They're getting him out of the country to cross the Jordan River. And in the midst of that, he's dropped and he becomes crippled in his feet. He loses the ability to walk with his feet. And so he's nobody. He's crippled in his feet. And he's in this town in the middle of nowhere across the Jordan River. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lo-Debar. So he's hiding. And he's out of the way. And he's crippled. And he's fearing for his life. They're all fearing for his life. And David says, you got to bring him to me. you got to get him. Now, can't you imagine him getting this message? You got to go to the. You got to go to the throne. You got to go to the throne. You got to go to the palace. You got to deal with the king. What a ride! What a horrible ride! Here's this guy. He's crippled. He's had a hard life. By all accounts, in ancient Israel, he would have been considered unclean and unworthy, and basically a dog, worthless. And then they throw him on a horse or a donkey, and they're going to bring him across a river, and he's taking this ride from the Jordan River, which sits very low, if you were looking at it sort of topographically, and he's got to go up to Jerusalem, which sits very high on a hill. And so he's just watching this city from a couple of miles away, looking, thinking he's taking this death ride to go see his father's or his grandfather's enemy. And so this dread is probably setting in for him because he doesn't know about the covenant. See, what happened with David and Jonathan when they cut the covenant and they agreed they were going to look out for one another's descendants, basically almost the very next thing, they never met again. They never saw one another again. Jonathan was killed, and they never passed along to their families that this covenant even existed. This was just between them. So this kid thinks he's riding to his death. He doesn't know that his uh, father and the king have made a covenant together. Now look at verse 6. We're going to read from 6 to the end of the chapter. And Mephibosheth, terrible name, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face, and he paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. He doesn't understand the covenant. He doesn't understand that the covenant changed their relationship at this moment from servant king to equals. There's a relational connection that has happened here. And so David said to him, verse 7, Don't fear, for I will show you kindness. It's the third time that word has shown up here. For the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Man, what a sad phrase. Keep going. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I've given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. 
So David wants to show this covenant kindness. What just happened? Everything all right over there? Everything died? Awesome. Um, So David wants to show him covenant kindness. He received grace and love and kindness, and now he wants to show grace and love and kindness. This is a crazy... uh, So let me just say the things God gave David. If you've been here over the last three weeks, you've heard this and seen this. God gave David a few things. He gave him victory over Goliath and lions and bears and even King Saul when he tried to kill him. He gave him kingship. He gave him people. He gave him country. He gave him favor. God gave him a relationship with him. He gave him salvation. He gave him his Holy Spirit. And he gave him friends and a team of leaders. God was insanely gracious toward King David. This is important um, to, remit, to understand about the idea of grace. Kessed grace is not just acts that God does toward us. It's God's whole posture towards us. So God doesn't just show grace to Lana by like, oh, I let you wake up this morning. Or, oh, I blessed you with this this week. Or, oh, your mom wasn't wrecked in a tornado this week when there was terrible weather in the Carolinas, Right? Grace is God's entire posture toward Lana and toward me and toward you. When you go to sleep at night, grace is what's watching over you from the moment you fall asleep to the moment you wake up. And grace is the thing when you open your eyes and you have life and breath and health and all of the good stuff. It's grace. It's that blessing, that kindness that is sustaining you. Grace is not how God acts in one act, two acts, when things are good. Grace is God's entire posture toward us in all things, all the time. We are loved. We are saved. Christians are forgiven. They're adopted. We are heard. We are blessed. We're provided for. We're assured of salvation. And our salvation will ultimately be fulfilled when we take our last breath in this life and our first breath in eternity if we're part of God's family. So look at what David then gives Mephibosheth. It's amazing. He gives him life. He doesn't kill him. That's victory. David received victory. He gives victory. He gives Mephibosheth status. He had received status. He gives it right back to this guy. He gives him servants. He gives him people. David had the same thing. God had blessed him with the same thing. He gives him land. David says, I'm going to give you this plot of land that used to belong to your family. God had done the same for David. He gives him favor. He gives him income, a way to make money. This guy who was lame and crippled, he now gives him income and money. David had been given the same. He gives Mephibosheth a seat at the table. He gives him food. And the most powerful thing he gives him is the benefit of the doubt. That he's not, in fact, an enemy who's going to try to kill him at the table because that's what enemies should and would do. All these things are the same thing that David received from God. David's whole posture toward Mephibosheth is grace, just as that was God's whole posture toward him. So if you're going to write anything down today, here it is, the one thing. We had a slide for it. I think they're gone. Um, Grace received compels grace given. Grace received compels grace given. If you are not a gracious person, and I can be not a gracious person, think about the grace that we've received and that liberates us to give grace toward others. Renee and I were having coffee this week and we were talking about what our life would be like if God gave us what we deserved, even the best of us. It's a terrible, terrible idea of what we would get if we deserved. Grace received because God only acts toward us in grace, 
compels grace given. We love, the Bible says, because God first loved us. It's what Natalie did for me that day on Belmont Street, and it's why she did it. So there are two things that we do with this story. One, we receive love. Love cannot flow out of you unless it's flowing into you. People who burn out are essentially people who have loved without receiving love well all the time. Now let's talk about those four covenants really quickly. Covenants are obligations or promises. Uh, I want to show you how God set the Bible up for us to be receiving love even as we violated it. Here are the four covenants. God promised he would never destroy the earth by flood. He promised that Abraham would get a land and become a people. He promised uh, in Exodus 20 blessing and rest for the people if they would obey the, the law. And he promised David that he would be a king and have a land and a throne if the people would trust and obey. But the people constantly broke those obligations. God extended the hand. They shook the hand, said, oh, we'll do those four things. And then they never, ever did them. So here's what happened. Here's the gospel. God sends Jesus to fulfill the covenants. Watch what happens. God sends Jesus to fulfill the obligations for human. Jesus, unlike Abraham and his descendants, trusts God completely. Abraham would become a family if he trusted, but he didn't trust. But Jesus did. He trusted all the way to the cross. Moses was leading the people into a covenant that if they obeyed, they would always have a land and a country and be blessed. But they didn't always obey and have a country and get blessed, and so God scattered them. But Jesus came, and he obeyed perfectly, and he never sins. And now, because of Jesus, we can become citizens of the land, but not the land of Israel, of the land of God's country, and we can become God's people. Philippians 3 says that our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of God's country. And then finally, God's people can get blessing and rest because Jesus fulfilled the covenant to trust and obey, and he is the king who rules forever. He has prepared a home for us, the Bible says, and he has given us citizenship rights in his family. Because of grace, we can give ourselves permission to be loved by God, not because we fulfill the covenant, because Jesus did. Jesus, God extends the hand. Here's the covenant. Here's the promise. You fulfill your obligation. We never do it. We never get it right. And so Jesus steps in, shakes the hand, says, I'm going to shake the hand and pay the consequence for you breaking it. And then you get all the benefits. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So this week, I want to encourage you, because of grace and the need to receive the love that Jesus offers freely, I want to encourage, here's, there's two to-dos today. To-do one, every morning when you wake up this week, I want you to take one minute, set your alarm one minute earlier, and just let God love you for 60 seconds before you get out of bed. For 60 seconds, I just want you to sit there in your bed, lay there in your bed, and say, I am loved in Jesus. I am forgiven. God has no yoke of pressure that he is putting around my neck to make me do anything. God knows my situation. He loves me perfectly. There's nothing that he's going to withhold from me in this life or the next. And just for 60 seconds this week, 
I want to encourage you, like Mephibosheth and David, to just receive love from God. It's amazing, if you're like me, how much of my prayer time can become this hurried thing in the car of, God, help me do this. i got to do this, right? Little hamsters on the wheel. And God, do these other things for other people. We're flying. And we forget. Sometimes God just wants us to step off and just let him say, I love you. And you don't have anything to do because Jesus shook my hand. He fulfilled the covenant and you are my child. For 60 seconds this week, before you get out of bed, or maybe you are rushed in the morning, I would encourage you 60 seconds before you go to sleep at night, just let God love you this week. I watch my, my kids play sports. And boy, we're a baseball family. Noah's now playing basketball. I'm having to coach basketball. The worst basketball coach ever. Literally, I, I just pray Garvin's or some of the guys are going to walk in the gym one night and take over coaching duties from me. I love watching Noah play basketball. He's never played before. He's the youngest, smallest kid on his team. And the ball came to him the other night for the first time in the game, and he shot it, and he shot it like five feet past the goal. You know, his adrenaline got to racing so fast. He shot, I mean, it was not even close. It was not even close. I was like, that's my boy right there. That is my kid in that moment, right? I don't care if he never makes a basket. I don't care. I hope he knows that he is loved by God. He is loved by his dad and mom. And he is, he's amazing to me, whether he does well or not. And hopefully that love will help his little shoulders relax and his heart slow down and him actually hit the basket this week. If he doesn't, I don't care. This week I want to encourage you to just let God love you regardless of how you perform. The second thing that happens, the second uh, thing that happens in his story. There's receiving love, but there's also giving love. Grace received compels grace given. Because of grace, we extend kindness and covenant love and grace. We live in a world, and we live in a graceless world. Mark, you're shaking your head. We live in a graceless world. There is not a lot of mercy and grace um, that just comes naturally. We live in a world of Mephibosheths, Enemies of God, injured and lame, beat up by sin, victimized, self-inflicted sin and destruction. Even like Mephibosheth said, I am a dead dog, I am a slave, I am your servant. That's what sin does to humans. And that's how we sort of walk around living. We can love like David. The best thing you can do this weekend, this week is receive God's love, let it pour into you, and then go out and love just like David. And maybe David's love running through you is going to be you sharing the gospel with someone this week. Maybe David's love through you this week is going to be you writing a note to someone this week and just saying, man, I see this in you. I am so thankful that you are my friend or you are my mom or you are my family member or you are my whatever, or you, I see you really trying in school, and I know this is hard. Keep at it, writing a note. Maybe this week, showing grace will be blessing someone, buying someone a coffee, buying someone a meal, saying, let's get together, or just being in line at the coffee shop and just saying, I'm going to buy for the next person or the person in front of me. Um, I don't know what that'll look like. Maybe it'll, you know what, sometimes I think we just need a pat on the back, right? Sometimes we just need someone to look at us and say, good job, I love you. The world's a better place because you are one of the 7 billion people who are living on planet Earth right now. A pat on the back, a hug. Maybe someone needs to be served. A couple of weeks ago, the guys were shoveling out here on Sunday morning. 
when it snowed on that Saturday night, Sunday morning. Kayla went out that week and bought all those guys a gift card to somewhere. I'm not even sure where. You can't believe how grateful those three men were that she had done that. Sometimes people just need an affirmation. Life can be overwhelming. Everybody needs love. Everybody is dry and needs love. There's almost nobody who is so well-loved that they're like, I'm good, I'm good. And so here's what I want you to do. Every day this week, 60 seconds to receive love. And then one day this week, I would encourage you to go out of your way to bless someone. I want you to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Whatever you wish you could do for everyone, I want you to do for one person this week. If you go in Starbucks, you're like, man, I wish I could buy a coffee for everyone in here. Then buy a coffee for one person this week. Whatever you would do for everyone, do for one person this week. And I want to encourage you to ask God who. God, who would you have me love this week? And how would you have me do it? Extend yourself in love past your comfort zone. It's exactly what David did. How awkward would it have been? How awkward was it for David? Here comes this guy stumbling in. Oh, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. I'm a dead dog. Please don't kill me. And yet David extends himself in love and gives this guy much more than he ever deserved. And that's what God does for us. That's covenant love that we receive through Jesus. So let God love you this week. Receive love. And then do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Give love. Let me pray for us.